Hollow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So Mike Spaulding, our friend and colleague, John McCure, who hasn't been here since Monday, has a very bad habit on this shared computer that we all use um, here at, at the desk, and that is that he, he never, ever, ever logs out of Twitter. And sometimes it's just more difficult or it's more frustrating to, to do that than others. And I was just going through one of those frustrating things. Is there something that we could do to teach him a lesson <laughs> and remind him that, that perhaps signing off of Twitter on the common computer that you and everybody else use, may, may, is, is, I'm just trying to think, is there some like Twitter message that we could send out to the various followers of Mercure that, that might tell him that you should sign off of this before you leave for a week? Could it be him sharing some of his vacation days with the rest of the staff and well, then we it, can say look it's in writing i don't know you it, said it it, it, it could it. it could exactly be no this is thanksgiving week i'm in a good mood so we will just publicly shame him and move on <laughs> from that but it's like i'm like why can't i get into my twitter oh it's because it's a cure that's open okay now how do i vlog out of this and stuff like that i had i had a very spooky experience this morning so um, my wife does most of the shopping, which is, is a very good thing. But this morning, I, I had to go to the store because tonight we're, we're going out to dinner with my, my, my niece, who is a freshman in law school in, at American University in, in D.C. She's, she's in town for the holiday. So we're going out to dinner tonight with my brother and my niece and, and my nephew. And then after that, my stepdaughter and son-in-law, they have a, they have a party. They call it an old-fashioned Thanksgiving, which is where they make old fashions. All right. There and, you go. It, exactly. <laughs> it, it, so, so I, I was at a, I was at a bourbon tasting a couple of weeks ago, and the people there recommended the bourbon to have with old fashions. And it's as weird as it sounds. It's it's wild turkey, wild turkey one hundred and one. They say this is this is it's just a great bourbon to have with old fashions. And I've I've tried it a couple times since then, and and I agree. So I wanted to go and I wanted to get a bottle of wild turkey to bring to the thing. So I, I go into the Metro Market that's kind of by where I live, and I, I'm thinking, okay, what else do we need? And we were kind of low on bottled water, and even though my wife would get it, it's it's kind of bulky. So I'll I'll do the heavy lifting because I'm the big strong man. That's good. So. Yeah. I, Right. I, I get a, a couple, get a couple, you know, twenty cases of bottled water, and then they had a deal. I'm, we drink diet coke, and they had this deal on diet coke where four twelve packs for twelve bucks or something like that, which I thought was a pretty good deal. So I'm, I go in for the bourbon. So now I'm, I'm loaded up. I got two bottles of bourbon, and I got you know two twenty four packs of water, and I've got the four things of diet coke, and I'm getting ready to check out. And I look in the aisle next to me. I swear to God, it's Gene Miller. Our, our, our morning host, yep. soon to retire, Gene Miller, mm-hmm. and, and the the guy he's wearing a mask, but it's Gene Miller. It's the same size. It's the same hair. It's the same, at least above the mouth. It's Gene Miller, and I'm thinking Gene Miller lives on the opposite side of town as I do, and I'm thinking, what is Gene Miller doing in in my Metro Mart here? And then I look over a little further and. 
The reason the guy's wearing a mask is he's an employee at Metro Mart because he got one of these like he's got one of these like jackets on that says you know, Metro Mart or Pick and Save or whatever. And I'm sitting there thinking, huh, is this what Gene Miller's retirement <laughs> job is going to be? Is he already auditioning for something else? And you know, because you know, I, I assume to work at the Metro Mart, you don't have to get up at two in the morning. <laughs> Maybe you can get up at six or six thirty. Well, a little ghost of Christmas future happening right there. I, 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 <laughs> and honest, I mean, this this was Gene's twin. It was just Gene's twin to the point that I'm now starting to uncomfortably stare at this guy because if, if it wasn't Gene Miller, and I assume it wasn't, it, it was it was his twin brother and stuff. And I'm thinking, my God, what what is he doing here? But if if you see somebody you know wandering around town and you think it's Gene Miller, be careful because it may be Gene Miller, but it might not be. Um, and if there's somebody that comes up to you in the self service line at the Metro Mart and tries to help you scan stuff, and it looks like Gene Miller. I don't think it is, but it, it could have been his absolute twin. You know what could happen? Gene could go to the grocery store by you and just kind of follow this gentleman around a little bit and just maybe see himself out of body. What would it look like? Have you ever run into somebody that, that really closely looks like you? Because, you know, they say everybody has a twin. I get pictures every once in a while of people uh-huh. uh, that, like, friends will send me of, like, oh, I thought it was you. Some of them are more flattering than others. Right, right. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's hard to see yourself. Right. You know? Right. Uh, um, so no, I've never had like the Spider-Man pointed at each other moment in my life. Right. No, me, me neither. But I'm telling you, if if Gene Miller had been with me this morning at the Metro Mark that I was in, it, it would have been. You could have put the two of them together, and you could have. You would have thought that it was double photography. Have you ever had the instance where you thought it was say a Gene Miller, and you actually went up to them and said oh, something? Yeah. I've had that happen oh, yeah. with me and my wife a couple of times. Yeah. I one time at the grocery store where I actually put something. In the cart, not fully paying attention to who's pushing it, it was very awkward. Right, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, it, it, excuse me. Do you ever get in a car? I what all cars look alike nowadays, and occasionally that'll happen. You go up to this car and you try to open the door or something, and it doesn't open, and you go, "What?" And it turns out that there's one that's exactly like your car. Um, same color, and yours is two over, and you've gone to the wrong car. That has never happened to me, but we just saw my parents over the weekend for our early Thanksgiving, and my dad was saying not only did he do that and go to the car, it was open, and he sat in it. So he went to a car that looked like theirs, and they drove a very like, common Mazda, opened the, d- unlocked it, didn't think that, I didn't hear the unlock beep, opened the door, it was open, sat down, and didn't realize it until he thought, "Why is the seat in this weird position?" So luckily, he said, "I just, I just I, got out. And no one saw it happen, but freaky." Well, I, I told this. This long we're going on a tangent. I, I told this story before. I have um, my wife drives a white Honda CRV, and and these are kind of ubiquitous cars. Now over here at Channel Four, they've got a fleet of cars, and they're all white SUVs. A lot are Hondas, and then they've got a couple others as well. And most of the cars are not marked. I mean, they're not branded. They don't say Channel 4 on them, all right? So I, my car was in the shop, and I'm driving her car. And I go out to the car at like 3 o'clock, and there's a producer, and there's you know one of the news people I don't know, and they're kind of standing around my car. And the way it works at Channel 4 is the keys to the, the cars that you share, they just leave them in the car. They, they just like put them wherever they put them, like under the floor mat or, or whatever. They, that's where they put them. So I go out, and these two of them, they're, they're in my car, <laughs> and they're, they're looking around. They're rummaging through my car trying to find where the car keys are and stuff like that. And I'm like, excuse me, what are you doing? Well, you know, and then it's, it's this comes the dawn moment that this is 
not somebody. And I, I mean, and I didn't lock it. I guess that's the lesson. You lock it, but we've got a guarded part. I mean, we had a gated parking lot. I mean, if I think of it, I lock it. But you know, they were rummaging through my car looking for the car keys to take it out on an assignment. Do you? Or did you just admit to parking in the uh, employee parking for TMJ four? No, this was not. This was where the rest of us parked. No. Oh, okay. It was no, no, a straggler. Was, oh, they thought it was a straggler. Oh, they, then. Well, if you look uh, along that fence there, they've got. It, it's not just that employee yeah. parking thing. No, no, no. They, that's where they park all the cars. I mean, no, there there was this long. There's this long line of like white SUVs, and so I just happened to be one in the middle of them, and they're where Where did this guy leave the car? And I'm like, okay, well, interesting. They were embarrassed. <laughs> I can imagine so. They were embarrassed. Well, did oh. you have the first thought? I'm I'm in Milwaukee, and this is. Uh, we talk about stolen cars so often. Is this really happening? <laughs> well, I, I didn't really think that that was the thing. I, like I say it's it's a gated, closed parking lot here. I, I wasn't really worried about that. I didn't think it was a carjacking thing, but it was kind of, huh, what was your first clue when you couldn't find the cars or when there wasn't anything else? Or maybe it was my coffee mug that was in there. I don't exactly know, but it all worked out. All right, let's switch gears. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, and it's at Jeff Wagner 6 20. I have a, a tweet out. John Chisholm, the district attorney in Milwaukee County, has made the front page of the New York Post. And I've got a link to the picture. It's uh, got a picture of John Chisholm and it's got a picture of Daryl Brooks. Daryl Brooks is, of course, the man who is now responsible for the death of of six people, including a child. He's responsible for the injuries of 50 or 60 more people. And as everybody, including the DA's office now, admits, he's a guy who should not have been out on bail in the first place. Now, my point that I've been making all week is this, to me, it's not a one-off case. It's it, This was an inevitable product of a policy that there has existed in Milwaukee County, I I believe, for the last 10 to 20 years, of trying to put dangerous people back out on the street because we we don't want to be viewed as being politically incorrect. We don't want to lock up people too long. We don't want to hold people on high bails. And and so uh, while this case is extreme in the fact that the guy on the ridiculously low bail has killed a bunch of people and injured dozens and dozens more people, what's happened is this is, I think, something that happens on a regular basis. And if there were intrepid members of the media out there I would challenge them to, I don't know, review a number of the people who have committed crimes in, say, just the last three years and look at their criminal records. And I predict that you would be shocked at how many people were either out on bail or some other form of release who have committed crimes that are now on their way back to to prison. So I think it's it's kind of endemic of what's going on. But the New York Post today harkens back to something that Chisholm said when he was first elected. And this is back in 2007. And I remember when he said it. And we could go back and we can pull tapes of the shows that I did around this time in 2007 because I couldn't believe the guy was saying it. And I was predicting at the time that this would be a disastrous policy. Well, here's the headline on the New York Post. And again, if you want to see the picture, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620 Woke DA who freed... Wisconsin suspect, quote, you bet someone will be killed by my reforms. And then headline, bail madness, suspect wanted to hurt as many as possible. And here, here's the, the caption under the photo of Chisholm. 
when he was elected Milwaukee County District Attorney in 2007, John Chisholm defended his philosophy of keeping people out of jail. Quote, is there going to be an individual I divert or I put into a treatment program who's going to go out and kill somebody? You bet. You bet. It does not invalidate the overall approach. His office is under fire for asking a judge to free repeat offender Daryl Brooks on only $1,000 bail. Brooks is charged with killing five in a parade massacre. We know that number has now increased to six. But this is part of an overall philosophy that the district attorney's office has adopted of trying to bend over backwards to try to use the least restrictive alternatives possible and release as many people as they possibly can. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here, here's the question. When, when he took office, John Chisholm predicted that his policies would lead to the deaths of innocents. And he said look, he's, he's willing to live with that. Well, now that his prediction has come true, is it time for him to resign? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Looking for somewhere to watch this weekend's Packer game against the L.A. Rams? Join WTMJ's Carol Kane at Flannery's in downtown Milwaukee's historic Cathedral Square. Carol will be there from 3 to 6 with fun games, prizes, and much, much more. Plus, enjoy 22-ounce Miller Lights for just 4 bucks. It's the Miller Lite Watch Party with WTMJ's Carol Kane at Flannery's for this Sunday's Packers game. For more information, head to WTMJ.com. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This... And I guess one of the things that I feel really strongly about is that what what happened in Waukesha with the suspect Daryl with Daryl Brooks, the the person responsible for the massacre in Waukesha last Sunday. This I do not believe, like I say, is a one off. This is it is extreme. But my guess is if you look at criminal records over the last 10 years in Milwaukee, and and especially if you could look at juvenile records, because juvenile records are protected, and we never know when you see the story about the fourteen-year-old that's murdered, the thirteen-year-old that's murdered the woman and driven over her while stealing her car. We never find out what the disposition. Of, we never find out about the prior juvenile record because we don't make those public because we want to protect the juvenile murderers. So this is, I believe, it is the tip of the iceberg, but it's an extreme tip. A week ago, two weeks ago, I was in in Key West for a couple of days toward the the Harry Truman Annex where Truman used to vacation and and they've got a a replica of of his desk there and on that desk it says the buck stops here which of course is was Harry Truman's approach at the end of the day you are responsible for what happens well I don't think there's any way you can look at what happened on Sunday without acknowledging that the district attorney in Milwaukee County is ultimately responsible for this. And, and maybe they can do a, a search and they can, you know, find some you know, rookie assistant district attorney that they want to, you know, hold responsible for this. But this, this is part of an ongoing pattern of releasing people into the community. And it's a pattern that John Chisholm initiated and defended in 2007. He predicted people would die. And now people have died. And I think it's time to hold him accountable. And, and yeah, I know I'm getting all sorts of people that are saying, okay, time for recalls and things like that. No, the decent thing to do would be to acknowledge, acknowledge what has happened, accept responsibility, and resign. 
Now, if you want to go do other stuff, if you want to work in the law and you want to try to work on bail reform and work from the other perspective about let's turn loose dangerous people, that that's fine. But you should not do it from the position of being the prosecutor. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think it's time for Chisholm to resign as well as all the judges and other elected officials who apply soft-on-crime recidivism strategy to dangerous habitual criminals, enough is enough. Um, yes, Jeff, there's no question. The DA has to go. Um, when he and others say things like that and it happens, they have to go. Can't Chisholm be fired? No, he can't be. He's an elected official, and he was just reelected about a year ago. So short of a recall... Or, and, and again, this is Milwaukee County. I, I don't know, I, no, nothing gets people in Milwaukee County outraged. I mean, back in, what, 2002, you had the pension scandal. But short of that, nothing gets people outraged. People haven't been outraged about the ridiculously low policies that we've had on, on going after car thieves. People haven't been ag- outraged about the, um, the ridiculous revolving door policies we've had and catch and release policies that we've had about reckless driving and all sorts of other behavior. So I don't know what it takes for people to get outraged about this. So do I think the voters of Milwaukee County will rise up and start a recall? No, I I doubt that. But maybe it shouldn't come to that. Maybe when you screw up so badly and the policies that you implement are so bad and people end up dying. Now, look, I, I... Let's understand where the ultimate responsibility for this is. It's with the psychopath who was out on the street. So that's the case. But the part and the prospect and what you do as a prosecutor in the criminal justice system is you are there to protect the citizenry. And the district attorney's office failed miserably in that. And members of the court system did as well. But I'll, I'll tell you, I'm willing to cut the court commissioner a little bit of slack in this because he followed the recommendation of the district attorney's office in deciding to release Daryl Brooks on this ridiculously low um, bail. Um, Jeff, I agree with you 100%. Doesn't a judge also have to sign off on this bail? Um, who is the judge and how do we hold them accountable? So, yeah, the judge did. And, and again, I, I understand. It. I like to think if I was the court commissioner and I looked at this record and I had a district attorney in court who was arguing to release him on a $1,000 bond while he was already out pending felony charges, my, my response would be, um, excuse me, Ms. D. Mr. DA, are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? How in the world can we release somebody like this? But that that's a big ask for a judge. This started with the district attorney's office by, you know, turning people loose. Now, it is interesting. This is the same district attorney who spent a ton of government resources and sort of like a dog with a bone. Remember, went after Scott Walker and other people surrounding Scott Walker, and you had the raids that occurred, you know, early morning. You know, we were aggressive when we were trying to find out whether Republicans had committed campaign finance violations. But when it comes to a hardcore repeat criminal who should have been locked up, well, in that case, it's a $1,000 bail. And, yeah, I, I think it's past time to be held accountable. I don't trust that there's going to be a mo- motion for a recall. But you know what? This is one where, as an elected official, if you screw up this badly, you should sit down, take some time over the Thanksgiving holiday, and say, look, I have to be accountable for this. I have failed the public, and it is time for me to move on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> 
I don't think I'm going to be on John Chisholm's Christmas card list. No, seriously. I mean, this is such an epic failure. You know, if we go back to the Harry Truman doctrine of the buck stops here, this is it. This is the result of policies that John Chisholm has put in place that he bragged about, that he acknowledged people would die because of his policies. Well, now people have died, and, and maybe it's time for him to own up to that, and it's time to say, all right, I am stepping down. I'm not holding my breath for that. All right, we've got breaking news. The jury is in in the Aubrey case. Let's take it live. The defendants are standing in the courtroom. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Madam Foreperson, I understand you have reached a verdict as to each defendant. We have. Please hand your verdict forms to the sheriff. Judges reviewing the verdicts now. I'm going to go ahead and address each one of these verdict forms separately. The first verdict form I have is the state of Georgia versus Travis McMichael. Mr. McMichael, just please stand. Verdict is as follows In the Superior Court of Glynn County, state of Georgia, the state of Georgia versus Travis McMichael, case number CR000433. Jury verdict form. Count one, malice murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Oh. I'm going to ask that whoever just made an outburst be removed from the court, please. As this court has indicated, I ask that there be no outbursts in the court, and I expect as much from the gallery. Please respect the court's um, desire for this as we move forward. If you feel like you need to make a comment or otherwise demonstrate with respect to the verdict, I do ask that you step out of the courtroom now. Count two, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count three, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count four, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count five, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. 
Count six, aggravated assault. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count seven, aggravated assault. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count eight, false imprisonment. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count nine, criminal attempt to commit a felony. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Dated this 24th day of November, 2021, signed by the foreperson. As to Gregory McMichael, in the Superior Court of Glynn County, the state of Georgia versus Greg McMichael, case number CR0, I'm sorry, 200043. This is the father of Travis jury McMichael. Jury verdict form. Count one, malice murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Greg McMichael, not guilty. Count two, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Greg McMichael, guilty. Count three, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Greg McMichael, guilty. Count four, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Greg McMichael, guilty. Count five, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Greg McMichael, guilty. Count six, aggravated assault. We, the jury, find the defendant, Greg McMichael, guilty. Count seven, aggravated assault. We, the jury, find the defendant, Greg McMichael, guilty. Count eight, false imprisonment. We, the jury, find the defendant, Greg McMichael, guilty. Count nine, criminal attempt to commit a felony. We, the jury, find the defendant, Greg McMichael, guilty. This 24th day of November, 2021, signed by the 4th. As to William R. Bryan. In the Superior Court of Glynn County, State of Georgia, State of Georgia versus William R. Bryan, case number CR2000433, jury verdict form. Count one, malice murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, William R. Bryan, not guilty. Count two, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, William R. Bryan, not guilty. Count three, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, William R. Bryan, guilty. Count four, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, William R. Bryan, guilty. Count five, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, William R. Bryan, guilty. Count six, aggravated assault. We, the jury, find the defendant, William R. Bryan, not guilty. Count seven, aggravated assault. We, the jury, find the defendant, William R. Bryan, guilty. Count eight, false imprisonment. We, the jury, find the defendant, William R. Bryan, guilty. Count nine, criminal attempt to commit a felony. We, the jury, find the defendant, William R. Bryan, guilty. Signed this 24th day of November by the foreperson. Go ahead and see. Court having read the verdicts and accepted the verdicts, anything from the state? No, Your Honor, nothing from the state. Anything from the defense? We ask the jury to be polled, Your Honor. All, all defendants ask the jury to be polled? 
fine, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to ask each of you. Okay, what, what, we're going to dump out of this now. What, what they're doing is polling the jury. A defendant has the right to have have each individual juror question. And so, what the judge will do is the judge will juror number one is this? Are these your verdicts? And were these your verdicts? And everybody always says yes. So that's that's the situation here. They're polling the jury. Um, tell you what, um, Melissa, do you want to finish the news? Do you want to, or should we just go right into? All right, we're going to. We're going to take a break. When we come back, by the way, um, the, these guilty verdicts, which is the majority of the verdicts, this is clearly the right thing. That this was, if this case had resulted in not guilty verdicts across the, the board, it would have been an incredible injustice. Now, I understand some people might be saying, well, why did they convict the one guy of malice murder and the other not? I, I'll do my best to explain in Georgia, every state is different, but I'll do my best to explain the difference between malice murder and felony murder and and why the verdicts do appear to me to be logically consistent. So I'll, I'll try to make sense of this. Bottom line is that this is, in my opinion, it is the right result. You have murder convictions, no matter how you slice it, for all three of the individuals who are responsible for the death of Amon Arbery. If you're not familiar with the facts of the case, I'll, I'll give you a brief rundown of that as well and try to break down the verdict. But this this is the convictions are clearly the right thing to do. This this was not in any way, shape or form a self-defense case. Back to explain in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Right. This strikes me, without going into too much, too deep into the weeds, is the multiple counts. Guilty verdicts for all three defendants are clearly the the right thing. For if, if you haven't been following the story, it, it comes from Brunswick, Georgia. It involves a, a then twenty five year old unarmed black man. His name was Ahmad Arbery, who was fatally shot. He, the, the story was he he was he was jogging. And apparently what happened is, it sometimes happened, he's, he's jogging and he, he's running past the house and, and, and the story is that he, he apparently kind of like stopped and the house was under construction or something and he was sort of kind of looking around at the construction site and then he continued jogging. What happened was two men, this father and son, Travis McMichael, who's the son, and his father Gregory, see him see him like looking around the construction site and decide to chase him their their story was well we we think he had stolen something you know because there had been a series of break-ins in the neighborhood so we think because we saw this black guy they don't say that but that's what it really the argument was we see this guy who's a jogger who's looking around and then so he starts running off so we start to chase him in our truck and he doesn't slow down. He's being chased by these two characters in the truck, and, and, and he keeps running. So they keep chasing him. The third guy, this William Roddy Bryant, is in another vehicle. So he sees this. He videos the pursuit and the shooting. So ultimately what happens is they the, the two, the McMichaels, they, they catch up to the jogger, and they, they block him off. And Travis, the son, gets out of the vehicle with a, a shotgun, at which point in time an argument ensues and Travis, the son, shoots Mr. Arbery, it shoots it and kills him, um, you, you know, um, as a result of this. And w- without going again too deeply in the, the weeds, 
um, they the, the the argument is well we were making a citizen's arrest and and he tried to resist he didn't have a gun he didn't attack us anything like that but you know we we were doing what we were entitled to do under the law in Georgia the third guy William Bryan who was following in the truck he says yeah I mean I was I joined in this chase independently I mean I wasn't sure if he had done anything wrong but you know I was a, a party to this all right so what were the convictions. The most serious charge, even though they're all serious, the most serious charge is what they call malice murder. The son was convicted of malice murder, and he's the one that actually shot Arbery with with the shotgun and, and killed him. In Georgia, malice murder is pretty straightforward. It's like first-degree intentional homicide would be here. It's with deliberate intention, if you unlawfully take the night life of another human being where no considerable provocation appears, you know, you are guilty of that. So the, the guy who actually shot him gets convicted of malice murder. The other two were convicted of what they call felony murder. Um, felony murder is where if you are, as a general rule, if you are involved in a criminal activity with others and somebody else does something, you are also responsible for that. Most common example I would always give is, let's say you're part of a a crew that's going to go rob a bank, and you're the guy that's driving the getaway car, and your three buddies go into the bank with shotguns, and one of the three of them shoots and kills somebody in the bank. You are part of that conspiracy. You are responsible for the felonies that your partner commits essentially because it's foreseeable that something bad could happen when you send somebody in to rob a bank with a shotgun and you're part of the plan. So the the felony murder, it means that somebody can be convicted of felony murder without actually killing someone. And in this case, both the father, who didn't actually pull the trigger, but was responsible for helping chase down Arbery and detain him, the jury found him to be guilty of felony murder. And there's a couple different counts of of felonies that they committed, an assault and a false imprisonment. But he was convicted of, of murder. It's the felony murder charges, even though he didn't pull the trigger. The same thing is true for the third guy who was part of the chase. He was convicted on fewer felony murder charges, but the jury did find that he was responsible. He was involved in a criminal activity. I think that his was the false imprisonment detaining the guy, and so he was responsible as well. So that, that's the difference between malice murder and, and felony murder. And and, and candidly, w- without breaking down each one of the charges, it seems to me that this is it's an appropriate disposition. Bottom line is all three of the people responsible for the detention, and then ultimately the murder are, are going to serve lengthy jail sentences. And, and candidly, I think this is an appropriate verdict under these circumstances. That This was never a self-defense thing. And this shows, again, one of the consequences of vigilantism. In this particular case, rather than simply calling the police, if you thought that there was evidence that this man had stolen something from a construction site, you you call the police, you let him go, you don't pull the shotgun out of the back of your pickup truck, go chase him down, get into a confrontation, and shoot and kill him. So this this is not the Rittenhouse case. This has never been the Rittenhouse case. All these cases need to be viewed, at least in my opinion, based on the individual facts of the case. And in this particular case, I, I think 
certainly overall with the different verdicts, the jury got the case right as far as holding all three of these men responsible. Interestingly, during this trial, the prosecutor made the decision not to racialize this. There was some evidence and some allegations that um, at at one point in time, one or more of the defendants had had uttered some racial slurs or or things like that, that the prosecutor apparently just, just wanted to stay away from the whole racial issue and I don't know why they made you know that particular decision but obviously it was a situation that they they, they ended up making the right call this was prime prosecution time the jury got the case yesterday deliberated during the day obviously I, I think they were probably pretty close to reaching decisions came back they slept on the verdict happens often came back this morning and and you just heard the verdict but I think as a general rule this is the appropriate verdict in these situations and it's it's a counterbalance, and it does say that, you know, if you're going to engage in vigilantism, and keep in mind, none of them, they, as they tried to detain this man, nobody had any evidence that he'd committed a crime. I mean, no, nobody saw him stealing stuff. It was just, hey, we've got this guy who's jogging through the, the neighborhood. We, we've There's been some reports of some stuff that has been stolen from construction sites over the last couple years, and so, or a couple months or whatever, and so we assume that this has to be him, and so we're going to chase him down and, and hold him and that that's not just that's just not the role that citizens have so again regardless of of, i understand there's people who want to view this from a racial prism i get that but at the same time i think if you just look objectively at the facts of this case what you find is a clear-cut case suggesting that the three people are in fact you know guilty of various crimes and certainly for the son in this case who was the one that took the shotgun and shot him uh felony mur- uh, the first degree the mur- murder malice the first degree intentional homicide is clearly appropriate and um my my guess is if this verdict had gone the other way i think clearly you would have had you would have had a, a lot of unrest and i just want to be real clear here this to me regardless of what the small p politics are with this, that this is really, objectively speaking, it's the right verdict for the jury to reach. All right, back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. The, the sidelight of the Arbery case is, again, another black eye on prosecutors' offices. Now, locally, of course, we have that with the insane decision of, of John Chisholm's office to let Daryl Brooks go. And, and as I've argued, this is part and parcel of an overall philosophy that Chisholm announced in 2007, where he was acknowledging that because of his various policies, not his bail policies specifically, but because of his policies, that the dangerous people would be put out on the streets. And, and now that prediction has come home to roost. And as I was arguing, in the first hour of the program, I think the decent thing to do would be to resign, not hoping, not 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 assuming that he's going to do that, but that would be the decent thing. In the Aubrey case, there are also elements of, of prosecutorial misconduct, and this has gotten a lot of attention as well. Um, it, what happened was the, the murder was on February 23rd of 2020, and the the shooter, the guy with the shotgun, who was convicted today of felony murder, of, of, of murder, malice murder is what they call it. His name is Travis McMichael. His father, who was with him when they chased 
Mr. Arbery. His name is Gregory McMichael. Gregory McMichael had worked um, as an investigator for the local DA's office for uh, about 30 years. So I think he had, was retired at the time, but he had worked. So he had a connection with the district attorney's office. Now, this this is a situation where if you're the district attorney and you suddenly find out that, you know, somebody who had worked in your office for more than a cup of coffee, it wasn't just like there's somebody who's there for a couple hours, he'd been an investigator for decades, and you find out that he has been involved in a potential murder, it, it, it's a no-brainer. You don't touch this case. You just immediately say, I've got to recuse myself, and then you contact whoever it is that you have to contact, and you say, well, our office cannot handle this case. We cannot evaluate this. He knows everybody. In our office, we have to get rid of it. Well, they didn't do that until February 27th, four days after the, the fact. And the prosecutor at the time, she lost her re-election battle, battle last year. Her name was Jackie Johnson. Um, at least according to the allegations, she she allegedly told two police officers that they should not arrest Travis McMichael. She told that's the son who was involved in the shooting. She said, don't don't arrest him. So, all right, and the question would be, well, well, why? You have somebody just shot somebody else with a shotgun. Why wouldn't you put him into custody? Well, it took her four days or so to to recuse herself. Um, she, by the way, has subsequently, she's now under indictment herself for a misconduct in office in connection with her handling of this case. So you, you the case goes to a second prosecutor and she pretty much apparently she sort of handpicked who she wanted to have handle this case a second prosecutor so second prosecutor gets the case and he investigates it for a while and then on april um first of all he reiterates an opinion in a letter to police on april 2nd that he thinks the the shooting was perfectly legal Okay, how you can come up with this conclusion, I don't know, but he says he thought it was perfectly legal. But he's got a conflict as well because Travis McMichael and Gregory McMichael, Gregory McMichael being the dad, he was an investigator and he worked with people in the second prosecutor's office. So there's a conflict there. So the second prosecutor, who has opined that he thinks the shooting was perfectly legal, don't ask me where that comes from, he has to recuse himself. So the case ultimately goes to a, a third prosecutor who then, you know, handled the case. About a month after the third prosecutor gets it, the video of the shooting surfaces. And once people are able to actually see what what happens, it's a 36-second video that begins with Arbery jogging down the middle of the street towards the pickup truck, stopped in the road. They, they had passed him, and they were kind of blocking his way. Gregory McMichael is in the bed of the truck. His son is standing near the driver's side with the shotgun. Arbery approaches. Physical confrontation occurs between him and Travis, and Travis um, shoots him, um, you know, um, ends up shooting him. But it, it took three prosecutors to get to this, and again, that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons this case is getting national attention. And I mean, I just, again, I don't understand these sort of things from a prosecutor's point of view when you've got such a clear, obvious conflict of interest that existed for the first two prosecutors who know the guy who had worked with him, 
one of the three suspects who had worked with him as an investigator for the office. There's no way you can evaluate this. This is why in Wisconsin, for example, whenever there is a police shooting, the agency that is involved immediately steps back. And you bring in an outside agency to conduct the investigation because at, at least as far as the, the public appearance of, of impropriety, you know, there's, a, I think, a perception that, well, well, gee, you if you're a part of the Waukesha Police Department, you, you can't investigate your own. And so especially in a shooting situation. So that's why you bring in the State Department of Justice or whatever. That's what should happen. It's what certainly should have happened with regard to the DAs here. Like I say, you've got one of the district attorneys who's now been charged with felony misconduct in office in connection with her handling the case. But that's the other side of this. I agree with uh, the news reports at the top of the hour. They've convicted all three people on the majority of the charges. It seems to me like it is a just verdict and um, closes the book on what I think was a very, very sad situation. All right. Deer hunting season is winding down. The preliminary numbers are in. What's going on? We'll discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Looking for somewhere to watch this weekend's Packers game against the L.A. Rams? Join WTMJ's Carol Kane at Flannery's in downtown Milwaukee's historic Cathedral Square. Carol will be there from 3 to 6 with fun games, prizes, and much more. So enjoy a 22-ounce Miller Lite for just 4 bucks. 22 ounces. Hmm. Four bucks. It's the Miller Lite Watch Party with WTMJ's Carol Kane at Flannery's. Show up for this Sunday's Packers game. For more information, head to WTMJ.com. All right. As I have acknowledged on multiple occasions I, I am not a deer hunter I'm not in I'm not into hunting it is not my thing I understand though growing up in Wisconsin living here almost all of my life that it, it it is it's a big family tradition with people and I also appreciate the the role that it has first of all in conservation because if you don't thin out the deer herd you've got a huge problem and and secondly it, just from a purely monetary standpoint Deer hunting is huge. The, the the tourism industry, especially in areas, quote unquote, up north, it, it depends on deer hunting and it depends on people going into the north woods and going to a number of the smaller communities up north um, starting last week and patronizing the businesses. So it's I think on so many different levels, it's important for deer hunting to grow and to thrive and survive. So here are are the numbers. Now, th- these are the preliminary numbers. You know, the, the deer season, gun deer season ends, what, th- this weekend. So this is just preliminary. But here's what the Journal Sentinel is reporting. Hunters registered 85,860 white-tailed deer over the opening weekend of the Wisconsin nine-day gun deer hunting season. That is a 14% decrease from last year. The 2021 opening weekend registration included 47,500 bucks, seven fewer than last year, and 38,000 antlerless deer, a 21% drop. Of the four deer management regions, only the northern forest showed an increase. The number of deer hunting licenses sold in 2021 is also down 1.5%. So what you have is you have Fewer deer being taken, I mean, down 14%. You have fewer licenses being sold. That would be, you know, 1.5%. And I think if you would look, you would see that overall that this is part of 
what has been a growing trend of a decline in the number of people taking licenses for gun deer season. Um, as of midnight Sunday, the agency had sold 551,000 licenses for deer for gun deer hunting privileges. Um, I didn't pull the numbers from like five years ago or 10 years ago, but my instinct is 551,000 is, is much lower than it was. Now, part part of the thing that's going on is that um, some people have been switching from gun deer hunting towards um, earlier opportunities with like the bow and crossbow seasons. So one of the things that people are looking at is to explain this is saying, well, there's not necessarily dramatically more hunters. It just is that people are you know, going out with the, the crossbows and, and the bows and they're switching to that. So they're still hunting deer. They're just doing it in a different way. So the decline isn't as precipitous as it might look. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have an open-ended question because, like I say, I, I'm, I'm not a hunter, but I, I do appreciate how important hunting is for many, many reasons, like I just mentioned. So my question is, is this an ongoing problem? Are we losing, are we losing deer hunters, or is it just a, a shifting thing? Is it just, okay, well, we've got as many deer hunters as we've always had. They're just doing it in different ways. Is this a long-term problem in the state of Wisconsin? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Tim and Fond du Lac. Tim, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Okay, what's going on? I mean, fewer deer taken this year. Is this part of an ongoing problem, or is it just an aberration? So I'm a, I'm a landowner in the Fond du Lac County, and I would say over the last 10 years, on an opening weekend, I would see between 20 and 30 deer. And I've been hunting with my daughter all weekend, and we've seen five. We had an opportunity to shoot one, but she couldn't find it in her scope line. So I just think the lack of the deer herd, I mean, it's hard to get young people involved if they're not going to see anything. Mm-hmm. Now, my wife, she used to gun hunt. Now she switched to bull hunting because the weather's warmer and stuff like that. But, I mean, over the last 10 years, the deer herd around our area has declined a lot. But right. you're not going to see deer. It's hard to sit in the woods. So you think it, it? You just think there's there's fewer deer that hunters are seeing, so that people are getting frustrated with it. The idea, if you, you know, th- there's the social stuff, but if you go out there and, and year after year you never even see deer, much less take one, it just gets old after a while. Correct, correct. Uh, now I know there's counties where there's a very high deer, um, but over the average, it's declined a lot. Interesting. Thanks for the call. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I have heard exactly what Tim just said. I've heard from the similar sort of stuff from, from lots of hunters that it, it's at least it's a perception that there is a declining deer population and there there is the frustration. And again, I, I understand that, look, deer hunting for people who like to do it, it, it it's fun. It, it's a tradition. You know, you go out to deer camp, you know, you sit around, you play cards, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. You, you get together with family and friends. And, and I, I understand that that's been going on for the time. But I've heard from a number of people exactly what Tim said, that it's like, well, you know, we, we've gone, it's been eight years and we, we haven't seen a deer, much less gotten, a, you know, a shot 
shot at one. And after a while, yeah, the camaraderie is fun, but, you know, hey, why don't we go to a motel and go to a swimming pool or something if we're not going to see a deer? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, is that... Is that a real problem that's out there, I guess, because, as I was saying a minute ago, I just think it's it's extremely important that the deer hunting industry is important. The hunting industry in general, and deer hunting in particular, is crucial for tourism. It's crucial for economic survival. And, you know, just from, a, again, culling the herd, it's important as well. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage uh, talk and text line. Now, here's a texter who says, Jeff, there are just as many or more deer being taken as than ever. Um, however, I believe that with check-in station eliminated, hunters just don't bother reporting them. Jeff, we had the best opening weekend in 15 years. Our group harvested 10 years. We do drives where we walk through the woods, force the deer to move while others surround it. It was the best. Jeff, for years, 30 plus, I bought both bun bow and gun licenses. Now I'm unable to go. If I were able, I would still be hesitant because of chronic wasting disease. By the way, I believe deer are still plentiful in our Northwoods area. All right, we're going to pick it up right there. So, um, because I, I want to hear, I think this is a big, big story, and I know people are coming back from the first weekend of deer hunting. Is this an ongoing problem, or is it just an aberration? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right. Is there, is there a long-term problem with deer hunting? And, and I mean, my answer is I, I hope not. Um, you know, a lot of people have told me, well, they've been frustrated because they just don't see deer. Now, my son-in-law, Darren, who I'm going to see tonight and tomorrow, he, um, he, he deer hunts every year. He's originally from, um, from outside the Green Bay area, and he goes out with his father, and I think his his brother, and and they deer hunt. And this year, for the first time in years, I, I know he got a buck, and he was very very proud of that. Let's talk to Todd in East Troy. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey Jeff, how are you doing? Good. What's going on here, if anything? Well, I agree. Well, I agree with everything that you've mentioned so far. I believe this is. I don't want to call it a decaying sport, but yes, the numbers are going to decline for a myriad of reasons, just because of. Uh, everything you said, you know, large families don't don't exist any longer. I don't believe they're passing it down to the degree that they did in the 50s and the 60s. Um, but one point I, I did want to make is the explosion of the popularity of the archery season. And I never see as many statistics driven like we do in the gun season. But I'm a, a very uh, avid archer, and mm-hmm. it's just exploded. I'd love to see some numbers that compare and its popularity, just to contrast the declining numbers that we see in the gun season. That's why, all I've got to say. Why, why do you think the archery aspect of this is increasing so much? A lot like golf, technology has come a long way. These bows shoot 300 feet, uh, 350 feet per second. Um, it's, it's, it's a niche sport that guys get into, and quite honestly, the gun season is not very challenging. You can shoot 250 yards, uh, yeah, it's great for for introducing the sport, but if you really want to break it down, it's much more fun and challenging to shoot something with a bow. Mm-hmm. It, it just and how about opinion. the weather too? I mean, it, bow season starts earlier, so and and I understand this this year it wasn't bad, but sometimes it can be kind of dicey in late November as far as weather. You think weather might have a factor as well? Of course, and it, it, 
you know, your typical person might find it nice to sit in a 50-degree day on opening day, but that's not when the deer move. The deer move when it's ice cold. They want to get on your feet. And so for those ice cold mornings, less people are hesitant or, or they mm-hmm. don't go out. So it's kind of an oxymoron. And then the archery season goes four months, September, October, November. It goes all the way to the end of January. I mean, that is a huge opportunity to bag something with a bow. Right. Thanks for call. I appreciate it. Here's a text, Jeff. We have seen declining numbers for the past dozen years or so. We hunt in central Adams County around highways 13 and 21. What is exploding up there is the wolf population, and nothing is done or allowed to be done to control them. We find eaten carcasses year-round, and they pretty much wiped out um, each year's fawn crop. And, and that's and, and I understand that there's some... There's some people that are out there who think we shouldn't be culling the wolf population and stuff, and we've allowed these predators to just continue to roam farther and farther south. And I understand that that's it, but I do think that's a factor as well, at least for some of the areas where you're not finding as many deer. I think part of it is because you have predators like the wolves that have allowed to uh, essentially take over areas. 855-616-1620. Ryan in Franklin. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. How are you doing, Jeff? Good. What do you think? Um, I think the numbers are declining, like you had said before. The baby boomers are—I uh, hate to say it this way—they're dying off, but they're not hunting anymore, and they're not bringing it up as a tradition like when I was a kid. You know, this was my 43rd consecutive deer season without missing an opening day, and I—I uh, I hunted a nice uh, uh, group of guys, friends, family, and but you can see that the other deer camps around us are, are dying. People aren't coming anymore. They've gone from eight to ten guys down to two. And um, I just don't think it's being passed on. And yeah. another thing, the younger generation seems to need instant gratification with the things they do, you know, like video games and stuff, where they don't want to sit out in the woods for four, five, six hours and maybe see one deer. Right. Maybe. Yeah. That's the operative thing being, you know, maybe. that you know, Because like I say, I, I've had several people who do deer hunt who've just told me the frustrations that they've gone lengthy periods of time, I mean several years, without seeing deer, much less getting a shot at one. And, and after a while, you go, hey, I like to see you guys and I love to hang out with you, but let's, let's go to the corner bar or let's rent a hotel room and go to a pool for a weekend or something as opposed to sitting in a deer, in deer camp. Exactly. You know what I Leading into that, most hunters don't care whether they get a deer or not. They're just out there for camaraderie and to maybe see them whether you bag one or not. Now, I hunt in northern Russ County, which is north of Highway 8. And to go back to what one of your other callers said, is the wolf population in the northern third of the state is completely out of control. There, there aren't any deer up there anymore like there used to be. Okay. We have big tracts of land where you don't see any deer sign whatsoever. Right, right. No, no. I th- thanks for calling. No, I think that, and I've heard that from a number of people as well. And I know that that's this ongoing frustration because th- there's an effort to try to control the deer pop, the, the wolf population. And whenever you do that, you have some people who go into court and they they try to argue that we need to we should need to treat these wolves as protected species. And the problem is, if if there's no predators for them, you're, you're seeing exactly this: the wolves migrate further south and. And they take the deer along with them. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Steve in Milton. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Steve. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Steve. Uh, calling, from, calling, calling from Green County. I hope my signal is good. We got you. Um, what I wanted to talk, what I want to talk about, I think, 
there's a lot of good explanations, but one that's forgotten is kind of like what you said with the family farm and things like that. Um, in Greene County, there's a lot of dairy farms and things like that in the 70s and 80s growing up, and a lot of that land is cropland now, and private land is hard to find. A lot of my friends have given up on hunting because they didn't want to pay the 1000 bucks, you know, to rent land. I'm lucky enough I have a cousin and am on a small 30-acre farm that I can hunt. So, but you just think you know, it, it, it's some, it's some, yeah, it's just access. I mean, you you can't if you if you exactly. don't have access to that private land, there's just not as many places to go. No, interesting. Thank, thanks for the call. I mean, I think these are all very valid concerns, and I think that the folks at the DNR need to take a, a big look at this because th- there, there's all sorts of reasons. And look, and I understand people. Stuff comes into favor and falls out of favor. I mean, and, and then then it, it revitalizes bowling. And I, I you know, right, remember bowling. I mean, I can remember when I was a kid, bowling was so huge around here that you had everybody who was, you know, you had you had the bowling league at work, and then you and your spouse, you know, you had the couples bowling league on Friday, and there were people that were involved. They'd bowl three nights a week sometimes, maybe more than that, and that was huge. And you had bowling alleys that were all over, and then bowling kind of fell out of favor. And yeah, I understand there's some bowling alleys that are around but it's never really taken off again deer hunting is different i understand it's it's not bowling but at the same time these are activities and there's a lot of competition for people's time there's a lot of competition for people's money and i can especially understand if you make it if you make it too difficult if you make it to the point our last caller was talking about where there's not you 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 can't find land that you can hunt or, you know, the land that you can hunt, the, the, the areas where you can go, the wolf population has decimated the deer population. Well, after a while, you get frustrated and you say, okay, maybe I should take up bowling again. Gregory in West Dallas. Gregory, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, thank you very much for taking my call, Jeff. Um, a lot of your previous callers gave me some things to think about that I hadn't, but part of it, like, I don't know, do we seem to be hitting more deer in the, uh, in the city now than guys are shooting them because the deer population has moved mm-hmm. maybe due to wolves and, and other things and uh, i also think the uh, uh, the change in our demographics uh, you know millennials and people like that uh, they don't seem to have that interest and you could attribute it mm-hmm. just like the bowling and things like that where yeah the interest isn't there and yeah, mm-hmm. if you shoot it with a video game maybe you would but yeah. um, i think uh, we're changing here in Wisconsin. We're getting different people, and uh, some of the old traditions uh, just aren't holding up like they used to. Well, you know, it's, it's uh, interesting, Greg, you know, Gregory, to your point, you know, I, I think, mm-hmm. look, I said at the beginning, I, I don't deer hunt, but it's it's my, my father didn't deer hunt. So, I mean, in, in many respects, it, it's a tradition that is that is passed yeah. on. And so, I mean, I didn't grow up in a in a hunting family. My guess is, and, and so if you don't grow up in a hunting family, it, it just, I mean, I'm not saying people don't take it up later on, but it's it's certainly a lot easier if your experience is, hey, I'm 12 years old, I'm in, I, you know, my, my dad is showing me how to hunt. And it, it's, it's just, we didn't do it. I didn't grow up in a hunting family, so I never got that that hunting gene and then you know if, if you don't grow up with it then the chances are your kids or your grandkids aren't going to grow up with it so you might be on to something I, yeah i do i do have uh, you know a lot of family members that do it but i i almost use the harley davidson example you know used everybody used to in wisconsin used to drive harleys and around the the states mm-hmm. and now um the i mean people still do i'm not saying it's dead but 
the interest to drive Harleys isn't isn't there like it used to be. Um, no, I so think. I don't know. Yeah. I, no, thank, thanks for calling. No, I mean it, that's that that's a fair point as well. I mean it, there was there was a time, twenty five or thirty years ago, where everybody. Okay, not everybody, but many, many people. You, you wanted a Harley. That that was the thing, and then for I think that that then became okay. Harleys were you know what what your dad wanted. You know you've got the you've got the twenty year old kid and his the, you know the forty five year old dad and the forty five year old dad loves the Harley. But okay, that that's that's dad's activity, and and I understand you pass that on to some. But I mean that's been the that has been the big problem that Harley has had over the last several years, and I'm not sure they've exactly figured it out you know they've tried to go to models and bikes and stuff that would be more appealable to the appealing to the younger set and whether they're ultimately able to do it or not you know time will tell but yeah i think that's a very good analogy you know you're like okay this was my dad's activity or like i was saying earlier if you don't come from a hunting family you're you're not going to end up passing that on and you put all this together and you see some of the numbers now look it, it might turn around and you know, I, I'm not predicting the end of deer hunting this year, next year, two years from now. I'm just saying that I think it's a big part of Wisconsin culture, and I think you have to take some hard looks at saying, hey, do we, do we have problems moving forward, and are there things that we need to do to ensure that this financial generator and this important tradition continues? Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Looking for somewhere to watch this weekend's Packers game against the L.A. Rams? Join WTMJ's Carol Kane at Flannery's in downtown Milwaukee's historic Cathedral Square. Carol will be there from 3 to 6 with fun games, prizes, and so much more. Plus, enjoy 22-ounce Miller Lights for just 4 bucks. It's the Miller Lite Watch Party with WTMJ's Carol Kane at Flannery's for this Sunday's Packers game. For more information, head to WTMJ.com. All right. Um, in the first hour of the program, I and I've got a link to the story. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. John Chisholm, of course, made the the headline, the front page of the New York Post, um, recycling a quotation of his that I, I talked about when it first happened in two thousand seven, where he boasts that as a result of his policies. He knows that there will, well, what he says exactly is, is there going to be an individual I divert or put into a treatment program who's going to go out and kill somebody? You bet it does not invalidate the overall approach. Well, these chickens are coming home to roost. We have six people dead. We have dozens and dozens and dozens of people injured, not because there was an individual mistake, because it was a mistake to let Daryl Brooks out. But this happens on a daily basis in the Milwaukee County court system, and it's getting attention, in my opinion, only because you've got this but you could go back, I think, and look. I would be delighted to see members of the news media start to undertake an examination of the people who are committing crimes from Milwaukee County, looking at their records, finding out how many are on bail or some form of diversion or release. And I predict you will be shocked at the numbers. And I candidly believe that if Chisholm really wants to own up and take responsibility, the only decent thing to do would be to resign. In fairness to Chisholm, though, his catch-and-release policies are not unique. And this story, it comes from the People's Republic of Madison. It involves a 21-year-old guy named Anthony Torres, who by his own admission was the biggest perpetrator and the leader of the, and then he uses a word I can't use on the radio, in connection with the riots 
that occurred um, in May of uh, 2020 following the the verdict in the uh, uh, George Floyd case. All right. So here here's what he was convicted of. He would just been he pled guilty to a variety, eight felony charges related to looting for the riot in downtown Madison last year. All right, so here's here's the deal. He was involved in looting an Under Armour store. They had a sportswear store on State Street that, by the way, did not reopen after it was looted. All right, in addition to the Under Armour store, he was that he was charged with burglary of that. He looted another sporting goods store not named in court, something called Knucklehead, something called Ragstock, something called Walgreens, and the Madison Museum of Contemporary Art. He was also charged with felony criminal damage to property for damaging a police car that was set ablaze and destroyed and for breaking windows at the museum. Eight felony counts. This is one of the self-proclaimed leaders of the riot. All right. Why are you telling me about this, Jeff? Well, here's the deal. Showed up in court this week, cut a deal with the district attorney, Ishmael Ozan. Under the deal he cut, eight felonies. He could come away with no felony convictions because they agreed to put him in the deferred prosecution program run by the district attorney's office. Five of the eight felonies will be dismissed once he completes the program. The other three will be reduced to misdemeanors, and then he could get sentenced for the misdemeanors. As part of his participation in the prosecution, he must pay $3,500 in restitution to Under Armour. Under Armour wanted $25,000, but they've said $3,500 total for his involvement. This is the guy who is self-proclaimed the leader of the riots, the leader of the riots. And they put him in a diversion program that will result in nothing happening to him. So, yes, John Chisholm, John Chisholm is a disgrace. There's no question about it. But he is not unique. This is the problem in this country now. You have these politically correct district attorneys who decide that we want to err on the side of the criminals. We want to take dangerous people who have engaged in serious antisocial behavior, and we want to put them out on the streets and give them other chances. At some point in time, is the population going to rise up and say enough is enough? I hope so. But I don't think it's going to happen. What? What a disgrace. If you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620, there's, there's a number of new postings, including the, the one that we talked about at the beginning of the show, the New York Post and its cover featuring John Chisholm and bringing back his words from 2007 where he said, yeah, I know because of my policies that people are going to die and I'm okay with that or that that's just that's going to be the inevitable consequence of it. And now that those chickens have come home to roost, the question to me is, you know, does Chisholm get held accountable and does he do to me what would be the decent thing and and resign? Not holding my breath, but that's the issue that's there. If you want to read that story, I've got a link to it right before the top of the hour news. I, I told you about this incident in in Madison where you have a guy who is the self-proclaimed, this is not me, he is the self-proclaimed lead rioter. 
and what 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 he's he was charged with looting various businesses being involved in setting fire to a, a squad car and in what is described as a gift agreement and that's the word the judge uses he's been put on deferred prosecution by the um district attorney's office in Madison proving that that you know this turn them loose mentality isn't just in Milwaukee and it's just one of these just amazing stories i mean it's just to me it's an absolute disgrace and i, I think people in the law enforcement system the judicial system need to take a take, step back and take a hard look at what is going on because you you see things like this you see things like the reckless driving and the kids that steal car after car after car and are never held accountable and you understand why many many people think the criminal justice system is broken beyond repair and why so many people who are committing crimes feel emboldened because they know nothing's going to happen to them. It's just absolutely disgraceful. But I've got a link to that story. And then from the other side of the perspective, as as I've said with the Rittenhouse case, I think the jury verdict was correct. The prosecution has has the burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt that that this was not a self-defense case. And under the unique circumstances of the Rittenhouse case, I, I understand the jury's verdict. And some people don't like it, but that's the, the, the truth. Now, I also understand the thought that a lot of people look at this and say, you know, uh, you've got this 17-year-old kid who shows up in Kenosha, whatever his motives were, you know, with a gun. That's a that's a bad arrangement. And that's why I, I've never seen Kyle Rittenhouse as a hero. I've always seen him as a a stupid kid who came to Kenosha. Maybe he had a wannabe cop instincts or something like that. I mean, I think he, he came to that location that night, certainly not without with, not with the intent to shoot rioters and things, got separated from his group, quickly got over his head, ran into some protesters slash rioters or whatever, first guy who had been threatening him all night and ended up attacking him, and then you're just kind of off to the races. Just a bad situation all around. But I've never seen Kyle Rittenhouse as a hero in any way, shape, or form, and I think it would be wrong to portray him in that way. I've also believed that... First of all, I understand for some people the lesson of Rittenhouse is, oh, let, let's arm ourselves and let's go into these volatile situations. I think that's, that's a bad message to take. Secondly, from the perspective of Kyle Rittenhouse, I understand why he did the interview with Tucker Carlson. He's trying to raise money for his GoFundMe campaigns and things like that. And I, I get it. But I, I really, I was kind of impressed by his lawyer, Mark Richards, afterwards saying, well, well Kyle wants to move out of state. And Kyle wants to take a lower profile, and he wants to enroll in college and things like that. And I remember thinking that that's exactly what this kid should do because, you know, the the reality is he was involved in in a situation and the quicker you can try to, if you can ever put something like this behind you, the, the better that that's going to be. So I admit I was a little bit disappointed yesterday when I saw his his definition of maintaining a low profile is apparently he and his mother fly to Mar-a-Lago and have a meeting with Donald Trump. And if you haven't seen this photo, it kind of broke the Internet yesterday, but I do have, have a link to it. There's a... You know, him and Donald Trump, Rittenhouse and Donald Trump, you know, posing at, at Mar-a-Lago, um, you know, smiling and the thumbs up kind of stuff and things like that. And it's just, th- does he have a right to do it? Yes. And I understand that, that some people might be supporting it. I guess my advice, and this is from a perspective of somebody that does not have an issue with, with the verdict, is 
this this was a tragic situation no matter how you you cut it you've got two people that are dead you've got a third that is injured you have you know Rittenhouse who was put through this criminal justice system for a year and a half and is going to be the object of, of hatred by some for the rest of his life there are no winners here there there just aren't and i don't know maybe the quicker he sort of lets his 15 minutes of fame or infamy die down, the better it would be. And with all due respect, traveling to Mar-a-Lago and posing with Donald Trump is probably not the best way if you want to quietly get about living your, your life. And I, you know, just, just saying. All right, when we come back, well, a number of things, including political correctness isn't just in Madison and... Dr. Fauci says you need at least one more booster shot. We'll discuss. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I told you yesterday that the follow-up to this story from Madison, or I'm not sure how much longer we can call it Madison, but James Madison Memorial High School has been involved in controversy for the last year or two because some of the progressively educated, politically connected people in the community and some students objected to attending James Madison Memorial High School. James Madison, of course, was one of the principal authors of the Constitution, fourth president of the United States, secretary of state, but he was from Virginia, and in the late 1700s, in the early 1800s, if you were uh, from a family that owned plantations in Virginia, you owned slaves. So because he owned slaves, that has now been the basis for, for canceling him. So the idea was it was just, it's inappropriate to allow, to force children to have to attend James Madison Oriole High School. We have to change the name because it is so traumatic. And that is precisely what they've done. They have now, they're going to be calling James Madison Memorial High School. It's now going to be renamed um, Vell Phillips High School. Vell Phillips Memorial High School. Vell Phillips, of course, being the first black person elected to statewide office in, in Wisconsin. And this is in no way to depreciate the significance of Vell Phillips, but it's it's the reason for this, the idea that we are, are canceling our founding fathers and forefathers because, well, they, they don't match up to our standards in 2021. This is, of course, and, and I've always raised the issue, and I half tongue-in-cheek, but almost seriously, if you can't have James Madison Memorial High School, seriously, how can you have the city of Madison? Where are the liberal elites about that? Because, I mean... Madison was named after James Madison. So if you can't have the high school because people are too traumatized and too upset to have to go to the high school that's named after this slave owner, how how can you do business? How can you live in a city that is named after the slave owner? And so it would seem to me that that, that is inevitable. Now, my idea has been we, we change the name of Madison to Fred. There might be other names that you could come up with, but but it is this idea. This is what happens when you follow the, the politically, you get the political correct woke ball rolling and you go no where does it stop and to me again it clearly calls for a change of the name in madison just so you know though that this is not unique to the people's republic of of madison new york city hall since 1833 there has been a seven foot tall 884 pound statue 
that has been in the conference chambers at City Hall since, again, since um, 1833. It is a statue of Thomas Jefferson. This week, the 884-pound statue built in 1833 was taken down from its pedestal, packed away in a wooden box, and is now going to be sent off on a long-term, read permanent, um, loan to the New York Historical Society. That is because members of the Common Council, again, giving into wokeness and political correctness, decided that we can no longer have a, a statue of Thomas Jefferson because, well, Thomas Jefferson, just like James Madison, was in fact a, a slaveholder. Um, Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner who owned over 600 human beings, said one of the members of the, this, the city council. It makes me deeply uncomfortable knowing that we sit in the presence of a statue that pays homage to a slaveholder who fundamentally believed that people who looked like me were inherently inferior, lacked intelligence, and were not worthy of freedom or rights. So, you know, she can't operate under her sensitivities or such that she can't, you know, do her job in a council where you've got this this building honoring one of the founding fathers of this nation because, well, it just she, she can't function. Well, okay, so they, this is the answer. We've got to take the statue down so she is not traumatized, so she can function. Function, which again brings me back to the city of Madison. I mean, is is this the case? Do we have people in Madison that are so traumatized they cannot function because their community is named after a slave owner? And if so, where is the push? Why let let's get those change.org uh, petitions going. Change the name of Madison. Name it whatever you want to name it. But you know, don't we have to be consistent? Or don't we have to perhaps say this cancel culture, this wokeness, this politically correct ball that has started rolling like a snowball down the hill, sooner or later, it's got to stop somewhere. Okay, when we come back, we'll talk to John McCure, find out what he and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.